And we are back. Another episode of the Romans Empire podcast on deck for all you lovely listeners. I'm joined, as always, by Andres and my good friend, Sam. And uh, and we got some football to talk about. It looks like Captain America did it again, huh, guys? Three points in yes, the back, sir. baby. Let's go. Great to be uh, back. It was, it was, uh, it, yes, it was great to have football back. And I guess before we kind of dive into the uh, meat and potatoes, see, I got that, I got it right this time. <laughs> not the meat um, and gravy. Not a meat and gravy. But as uh, we dive into the meat and the potatoes of this uh, podcast, I just kind of wanted to get your guys' initial uh, responses. So, did we watch the game with or without natural sound? <laughs> Come on, bro. Added fan noise only. Let's go. <laughs> Love the artificial he, sounds. I, I, it was Father's Day, so I was watching with my dad, and it was on TV, so I did Let's not go. bring my laptop oh, with me to man. listen without fan sound. Respect. Uh, Respect. What about you, Zach? Um, I watched it without without sound, so I had only the natural right. noise. And it's uh, it's good to know that um, a lot of the uh, same habits that I used to do and say as a center back when I played at a very low level compared to these guys, it, it's just good to know that those habits are still around, like on corner kicks when everybody screams away. Um, you know, just like simple things like that that you were kind of catching on to were really cool. And then I was also picking up some of the sound bits from uh, – from uh from Lampard when he would um you know kind of like change up directions or tactics like you could get you know you could kind of hear him pushing the players and that was interesting to hear honestly and and that was my whole argument that kind of fell apart last week as to why I like natural sound but do you I, do you also have the same habit as our center backs to not follow a rebound after your goalie makes a fantastic save no I've done that more times than I could count man it, it that that that's something that that I kind of want to get really into um, yeah we, we could probably sign you if you, you fit the mold perfectly <laughs> yeah i'll be i'll be perfect i'll uh i, th- I think i'll i'll concede less penalties than david louise that's for sure but <laughs> all right let's get into the match so of course we won 2-1 after conceding that first goal at the end of the first half all looked uh terrible until we uh brought on Captain America, the man himself, Christian Pulisic. So let's let's go over the starting lineup at first. So Kepa and goal. Uh, well, first of all, four three three lineup. Uh, Alonzo, Rudy, Christensen, and Dave back line midfield of uh, Conte, Mount, Kovacic, with Conte. Uh, you know, really being played as a holding midfielder. Um, then uh, uh, RLC. Uh, William and uh, Giroud as the front three. So RLC as a winger, uh, I don't think we've seen that in an official match yet, but apparently this was the same exact starting 11 as we used in the QP- uh, QPR friendly. Uh, so I guess Frank liked what he saw so much that he decided to run him out again. Um, I mean, 4-3-3 again, as I said, making a comeback with Conte as a defensive mid for once. I mean, it's been so long since we've seen this. Uh, he's been utilized as a box-to-box midfielder for the past two years, and it's been amazing seeing him uh, as that holding uh, defensive mid. So, I mean, 74% possession we had over them, uh, which was just dominating. And we've had a majority possession in 29 of our 30 games, 
which is more than any other Premier League team. And the only game where we had under 50% possession was our most recent win against Tottenham, which we had 49.1%. So uh, let's start off with uh, your first impression of the lineup. Where'd you guys think, what'd you guys think Frank was trying to accomplish with this, uh, with this selection? Zach, what do you think? It was weird. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I was kind of, uh, kind of surprised to see Willian in there. Um, but after, you know, sitting down and thinking about it, was it really that surprising that Willian was, you know, starting on the right hand side? Um, and then once I got past that conundrum, you know, you look at the left RLC starting as the winger. I don't think Frank's, um, Frank's intention was to go out playing a conventional 4-3-3 with Loftus-Cheek as a conventional winger. He doesn't hold the wide positions very well. I think he was more utilized, or the intention was to utilize him as more of an inside forward um, or number 10 to just kind of play right behind uh, Ali Giroud, um, which would open up the whole left-hand side for Alonso to attack. Because, like, let's not forget, as much as we shit on Marcus Alonso for his defensive attributes— um, going forward, especially um, heading into this whole COVID nonsense break, whatever you want to call it, he was actually in, in, in pretty good form um, from an attacking sense. So when I saw that lineup, that was that's what I initially thought. I thought Frank was just trying to open up that left-hand side for Marcus Alonso and maybe tucking in Loftus-Cheek um, in a more inside position would allow uh, for more defensive cover, um, but it would also give Alonso that room to run in. But uh, Zach, Andres, yeah. Zach, before uh... – I mean, we knew beforehand that Cho would not be fit to play. So, I mean, if you were yeah. surprised with Willian on the right side, who did you expect to be there instead of him? Uh, I honestly thought Pulisic would have been. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I know both of them, and Frank talked about it. You know, he 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 mentioned how difficult it was uh, for Pulisic to kind of swallow the pill of coming off the bench, especially after a long injury layoff. And you know, he was in good form leading up to the injury. But he, he spoke on it and he said, you know, I, I felt that Ruben was the right guy to start for this game. And, you know, they, they were Ruben was also at an understanding that he was only going to get about an hour. Um, so maybe, you know, that kind of lit the fire under Pulisic's belly. I mean, we also got the Werner and Ziyech thing. This is the first time we're seeing these guys since. So that could be a cause for the for the amazing performance he put together. But um, just kind of going back to your question. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Pulisic would have played there, but I, I wasn't mad to see Loftus Cheek. I don't want it to come off that way. I, I think it mm-hmm. was. I think you know, if you look Surprising. at the idea and the tactic that he wanted to put out, yeah, it made sense to play Loftus Cheek as opposed to Pulisic. But you know, things didn't work out. He changed it up, and we wound up picking up the three points. But Andres, what, what were you, what was your take on the on the lineup um, at first glance? What did you think yeah. Frank was trying to accomplish? Well, f- first thing that surprised me was the fact that Dave started over Reese James because, you know, coming, like you said, before the break, Reese James was our starter week in, week out. And I just thought because Aston Villa was most likely, and they did park the bus, it would make more sense for Reese James to be in there because our two fullbacks could be pushed up. Um, The next thing that was kind of a shocker to me was actually seeing – uh, well, that, that this happened more in-game, but seeing that it was a 4-3-3. When I saw it on paper, I swore this was a 4-2-3-1. Uh, so seeing Conte back at the DM role for the first time since we were, well, since we got battered by Arsenal 3-0 under Conte, it's like, oh, dang, okay, we're going to try this again. Like, he didn't even play in that role with France in the World Cup. So it's it's been a long time since he was a lone DM. 
and then finally, like I know RLC as a winger was a kind of a shock for me. It wasn't the fact that he was as a winger is more the fact that he was starting right away. Sorry did play him in the wing a lot in the Europa league and he did perform there. So can do we know that he can do it? Yeah. Did he do it up to his usual standard? No. And I definitely did not expect him to start just because in, in the press conference, Frank made it kind of sound like he wasn't ready. So again, we, we've been over this million of the time. Kovacic is our player of the year so far. He deserved to start. Mount was already playing well and he is, as we joke, Lampard's son, he was going to get a start. Uh, but not seeing Tammy start was honestly my biggest surprise. Just because, just like Pulisic, I guess he was hurt. But I just expected Lampard to put Tammy right back in it. Especially after completing the signature of Timo Werner. So, those are my kind of lineup reactions going into the match. I wasn't I wasn't too mad with the Ali Giroud selection. Um, only because he was playing really well leading into it. Like, like he, you know, he had a great performance against Tottenham. Um, but also, and, and this is kind of to caveat off of you, Andres, I think the reason why we saw guys like Ali Giroud, um, even Willian, Dave, starting on the right-hand side as opposed to the left, I think Frank was trying to get experience out on the pitch considering the layoff. You know, th- those are guys that he counts on to, you know, at least give a 7 out of 10 performance. So, and he spoke on that all season, so this this shouldn't be anything new. But that 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 was kind of my logic for as to why Frank did that. Um, but you also got the Man City game coming up on Thursday too, so you mm-hmm. know maybe it's just a matter of him saving legs. Oh right, I mean we 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 discussed this last week. We have four matches in ten days, and we you know we know rotation is going to be huge. Um, I guess I'm not. I wasn't mad about the Giroud thing. It was just the statements he had made leading up to all this with, you know, mm-hmm. I want Tammy to compete. I didn't have to tell him about Werner until it was done. Like, competition is good. I just thought it's like, all right, you know, like, there's a fire lit in there. Like, let's see it now. Like, we have yeah. a new striker coming in. So I just expected mm-hmm. him to be back in. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, right, let's talk a little bit about N'Golo Conte's performance. So I'm just going to read off some of his stats uh, 97 total touches, 87% pass success rate, two key passes, two out of four aerials won, two out of two tackles, one clearance, one interception, uh, and also nine out of 11 diagonal diagonal balls completed. So, uh, I mean, there's there wasn't much for him to do defensively. Uh, obviously, we had the 75% uh, uh, possession, so, you know, he... There, there were times where, you know, he would recover possession and his tackles and uh, his his fouling of, uh, um, who was that? Uh, Grealish. Grealish. Yeah, yeah. And he ended up getting the yellow at the end. Uh, I mean, well warranted, but that's just that's just smart fouling on his end. Um, yeah. Not letting him get, just not allowing him to get going, you know? So, um, what kind of performance, I mean, does this performance prove that Conte is best utilized as a holding midfield player, like as we previously uh, might have believed? Andreas, what do you think? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, here's my reasoning, though. He did, he broke down the counterattacks. He definitely did. I mean, their goal came from, I think it was like a corner that then got set, played back in, or a free kick, one of the two. But... 
the one thing that I thought was slightly lacking while his numbers are super impressive was the kind of like the the impetus to drive the ball forward quickly before Aston Villa settled its lines again. I, we Anytime the ball was moving forward, there was already two distinct lines of, of four ready for whatever we were going to bring. And I think that was why it took us so long to to get a clear chance at goal. Uh, I think that the stats actually showed that expected goals-wise, we actually should have lost this game. I get it. We do have better players who have better finishers, but uh, that's the one nitpick I have. I mean, defensively, N'Golo Conte is, was, was perfect. Like you said, the, if he did get beat, he was fouling guys before. It became an issue. He was cutting passing lanes. It's, it's, the, it's a part of the game we expect from N'Golo Conte. I just wish the awareness to move the ball forward was or, or forward in a in a quick fashion would have been there because we could have taken advantage of of the transitioning back into defense from Aston Villa a little better. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying. You know, that's that's something I feel like um, isn't too far out of reach for Conte to eventually get to doing. I, I think he's a smart enough player to where Frank could kind of pull him aside and coach him over time, maybe over the span of a couple matches, saying, hey, you need to drop back and collect the ball between the two center halves more, or you need to, you need to drive forward a little bit more. Look for those, look for those channels to run into um, with the ball. Um, but overall, I think this is his best position. Um, and I think, you know, although Villa didn't really offer much going forward, I mean, we don't see teams give up 80% of possession at home. Um, but he was at the right place at the right time always. And I think, you know, that, that tackle on Grealish kind of proved it. A lot of people were pissed that he picked up a silly yellow call, a yellow card, but one, that's a smart foul. And two, Grealish is the most fouled player in the premier league. So, um, we shouldn't be too put off by the fact that Conte had to literally take him down, um, you know, to not get beaten. Um, but, but the one thing I noticed in this game was how much better of a player he became over the last two years in terms of his all-around game the big one that sticks out to me is it, it are the diagonal balls i i haven't seen him pinging the ball around the pitch like that um ever really um because this was the first time he was positioned in a midfield um where he was relied upon to do that and i thought he did a pretty decent job at it um yes at times the play did seem a little bit slow but I don't think it's beyond Conte to, you know, improve in that respect of his game. Um, you know, when he was playing the number eight for every sketchy performance that he had, um, he had a good one. So, um, you know, that ability to to control the ball in tight spaces and to play quickly is something that he's not foreign to. Um, and I, I just think it's a matter of time before we start to see we really start to see that with Conte. Um but yeah, I mean, I just think it's something to note that, you know, he's not playing with a Jorginho back there and he's not playing in a pivot either. So this is really the first time he's been stuck there alone since Andres said, you know, probably since France. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on. But right now, definitely, he's in my best 11 for sure. All right, let's move on to RLC. We mentioned uh, a little bit early on, you know, this is his first start back since back uh, in May of 2019. Uh, and again, starting on the wing, uh, you know, he showed glimpses of his strength and his ability, but you know, it, it's been a while. He still lacks match sharpness and, you know, 
wasn't able to play the full 90 that's that's expected of someone who hasn't played in that long um but i mean we ron uh aka bone daddy cool aka bone daddy deluxe he wrote in uh he wrote in on twitter asking about what we thought about his performance he said that uh he saw glimpses but there are obviously rust and nervousness involved with that i think i agree with ron what do you guys think zach i'll start off with you uh ron's a smart guy um physically i i think he looked great something i was curious about going into today is we only really saw pictures oh yeah of him. he does he's sexy <laughs> <laughs> big look but uh, what I'm I was going to say is something along the lines of that. He looks he looks great. I mean, I mean, he looks chiseled. He's very cut. He didn't lose too much mass, which is something I was worried about. I honestly thought he was going to lighten himself up to take maybe a little bit of weight off of his off of his knees and joints. But it, he looks pretty much the same as when he left. And when he left, he was in damn good shape too. So that was definitely a positive for me. Um, but like like you said, Sam. He just needs he needs to get that match sharpness back, and the only way that happens is by getting matches under your belt. Um, should he be starting every game? No, but he should be definitely coming on as a sub um, when needed. Um, and, and I think Frank should be giving him a decent amount of responsibility, which he showed um, by starting him at the left wing. So um, it's going to take time for him to for him to get back. And once he does get more minutes. I think it'll improve other aspects of his game besides, you know, the quickness of play. It'll also speed up his mind. He'll be able to time his runs into the box better. Um, and, and he'll be able to read the game in certain situations better as well. Since, you know, if you sit out for, a, for over a year, tactically, it takes time for you to, for you to get back into the swing of things. Um, especially considering that, you know, he has had seasons here in the top flight, but, um, he's not particularly the most experienced player in terms of actual minutes played. So we got to keep that in mind um, when talking about him. But exciting times ahead. I mean, I, he looks a lot better physically than I thought he would. And I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. And that's the main positive to to, to take away from his comeback here. Yeah, I, I was going to say something along the same lines about his kind of brains match fitness being the issue here. But we also have to take into account that under Sari, you basically had, if this is happening, this is what you do and all that. So even when he wasn't playing, he knew exactly what was expected of him. Under Frank, you obviously have a lot more freedom as to where to go, how to move. So the spontaneity of our way of playing is probably part of why he seemed kind of a step or two slow on the ball or, or not being at the right place. The, the other thing that I guess is, for me, I guess I would have loved to see him more in the midfield and then let Mount be the left winger. But I think that Frank just didn't want to put Loftus-Cheek, even though he is in great shape, in his first match in a role where he's going to be doing a lot of pressing and a lot of running. So while we all know he is a threat in front of goal, maybe he just thought, okay, I'll just put him closer and let Mason continue to be the roaming, like, kind of just I don't know how to say it just bulldog of the midfield but I'm hoping that we'll see it flipped because I do think RLC would have been a good player to like I said the Conte was kind of slow on the ball so RLC is the type of player to make the quick decision to dart forward whether he's passing or moving up with the ball mm-hmm. so I, I hope that moving forward we see him more in that midfield three rather than 
out at the wing just to utilize what makes him so different uh, to his advantage rather than kind of shackling him to the final third. Because I think part of his, uh, again, his, his specialty is, is running up, beating a midfielder. Then we have an advantage in numbers. He's really good at combining with, the, with you know, flair players. He was fantastic with Hazard. And we know Giroud is good at that too. So if Loftus-Cheek is, is coming at you with speed, has beaten a player, and then is looking to combine, that's a lot more dangerous than him receiving the ball while he's standing still in the final third. So, mm-hmm. again, a mix of both the fact that he's, he hasn't played in over a year. or Yeah, over a year. It's a whole new system. And he's not playing his preferred position. I just think all those things added up to him having a very average, if not slightly mediocre performance. All right, let's get into our wing backs, uh, I mean our full backs. Um, so we got appearances from three different players, Dave, Marcos Alonso, and a little bit of Reese James at the end. Let's start off with Dave. Um, regarded, I mean, he, he won man of the match. Um, and, you know, if you look at his numbers by himself, two assists and also – by the way, with those two assists, he's tied on our team for the uh, joint most league assists with Willian uh, with five. Um, so going through his whopping, numbers. Uh, a whopping five. <laughs> and he got almost half of them in one match. Uh, <laughs> so 103 touches, completed 59 of 71 passes, 11 crosses. He created three chances and assisted both of our goals. Um and this is only a second time in 263 appearances uh, in the Premier League that he's had two assists in a game. So good, good on him. But in my opinion, I, I don't know. I just didn't. It didn't seem like he had that great of a match. I mean, if you look at just the numbers, yeah, sure. But I mean, I mean, that that's uh 80, 82 percent, you know, pass completion rate. That's decent, you know. And maybe I'm being overly critical because, you know, getting in 11 crosses, that's that's a good, that's a fair amount. So most of them were not quality balls, in my opinion, you know, I mean, right. obviously. So, you know, maybe that's it's just because I, he crossed the ball so much that it stood out to me. You know, he's lucky to have gone off that many. But, you know, 72 passes and having 82 percent, you know, pass completion rate like that's nice. But I I, I just didn't feel like his performance was that great. And, and it's, and it's not, it's not to say that he had a poor match, but uh, you know, the, the leadership that he brings is just like it's an, something that you can't put on paper. That obviously was a huge contribution in our comeback. Um, but uh, I'll start off with you, Andreas. What, what was your take on his performance? I'm there with you. I legitimately think up until he got the assist, he was not, performing well and again it's because we were having so much of the possession he did have 11 crosses but again like you said they weren't finding a target they were either overhit or finding you know an Aston Villa jersey I also thought that the play at the right side of the field I'm pretty sure we talked about this in the during the game is just very repetitive ball goes out to Aspie Aspie waits for William to make the run the ball gets put in the corner then William either loses it in the dribble, crosses it, or it's a corner. Like it, it became so predictable from the right side up until we got the goal through Pulisic. So, again, two assists for a defender, that's fantastic. If you 
remember that before those two assists, none of his crosses were working and it was very dull on the right side, then you're like, okay. So, I mean, it was a good game, but I also think the numbers hide part of the game because we won. <laughs> I don't – yeah. It, I had the same exact feeling as you guys. It, it was one of those things where during the match – I, I think I, I think I even texted you guys in a group chat. Um, there's no way we're gonna win this game, and then all of a sudden, four minutes later, we're up two one. Um, <laughs> but good timing. But it it, it kind of describes my whole feeling on the match. Like I was trying to call it as I see it, and while I was watching it, it did look like an average performance. He still can't cross the ball to great effect. Um, he did put in a couple good balls. He probably should have had three assists to be fair to him if Loftus-Cheek's timing was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in the first half, he, he had that really nice low cross. Mm-hmm. And, and RLC, it, I mean, it should have been a tap-in. Any other you know, match where he's not making a comeback from a long injury, that goes in. But um, it, it, it was inspiring nonetheless. And I think that's what you were trying to get at, Sam, where – you know, it wasn't a pretty game. You're not going to get those pretty stat lines either when there's nine defenders in the box at all times. Um, and the fact that, you know, we were still able to to use him somewhat effectively to get those two to get those two goals is um, it kind of speaks to the type of player Azpilicueta is. He's a seven out of ten week in and week out. He's not going to give you those, you know, fantastic off the charts performances. But at the same time, he's not going to have a, a David Luiz moment. And and, and hmm. that's just kind of who I've accepted him to be. And the reason why I love him is because he's at 7 out of 10. So, you know, it, you can't complain for his performance on the day, but you can definitely have better. Um, and, and I don't think that could be argued against. But it, to name him man of the match, I think it was maybe pushing it a little bit too far. I, I probably would have had N'Golo Conte there or Mason Mount um, maybe ahead. Even Christian Pulisic. Mm-hmm. Um but um, you know, I, I I can't be mad at it. I love Dave. I I don't think I could ever be mad at him just in general. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such it's so relieving because my my knowledge of like football tactics is not as uh, well versed as your you guys is. So like when I have an you know independent observation and you guys reaffirm it, it makes me feel good. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad that I was on point with that one. Uh, let's get into Marcos Alonso. Zach, what did you think of his performance? I mean, does that does it just point to more of our of what we already knew that left back position is pretty high on our priority list yeah yeah um pretty much invisible defensively what's new um and 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 his match sharpness was gone so you know if marcus alonso isn't flying up the left wing um either putting balls in the box or getting his body in the box um, he's really not doing much. And the one time we did see his body get into the box, he uh, looked like he got tangled between his own legs and tried to put it back onto his right foot. And just, it was kind of a mess, if I'm going to be honest. And I just think that this game is one of those that really highlight, yeah, we need a left back this summer um, to really have an A-plus transfer window. Andreas, well, what do you think? I- Totally disagree here in terms of his defensive work rate today in this match. I I don't think he was an issue at the back. I, I never once was like, wow, Marcus Alonso really effed that up. Like that wasn't a thought that came to mind once. The only complaints I had were 
again, we know his crossing isn't the best, so wasn't expecting much there. And there was just one instance where Marcus Alonso usually shoots and scores, and he decided to let the ball roll past him, and then he went wide to then cross it rather than just taking a hit. So those are like my, – my complaints with him were not defensively whatsoever this time around. I, I was worried having him as a left back would be the issue, but I honestly have had zero complaints defensively. So, yes, he, we do need a left back. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Marcos Alonso is the answer and, and should continue to start there. But in this specific game, I thought his inclusion made perfect sense. Again, we should have – we had 75% possession – we were going to need to find other ways to score. I was just bummed out that when he seems to shine in, in situations like this, when he does get the space up front, he didn't pull the trigger. And and that's the one thing that really, really bugged me. Well, that replacement at left back, we got a Twitter question from at Emerson edition. Uh, I'm surprised he's looking for a new left back. Uh, I guess he dedicated his whole Twitter page to Emerson. Uh, first time question, actually, by this from Emerson Edition, so welcome. He says, chill well for $60 million. Is it worth it? Zach? Fuck no. <laughs> no. Andreas, $60 mil. You take it? Uh... Let me answer for Andres. Andres, you want me to answer for you? I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> Do you? Okay, sure. Yes. I'll let you see if you can read yes. my mind real quick. Chilwell, I'll take him on my team any day. But for $60 million, that might be a little bit too much, right? Something uh, along that, those it's, lines? It's along those lines. Uh, okay. I still think that we're going to sell players. Yeah. So unless players go out and players that we were never going to use – add up to 60 million or 30 million to make Chilwell feel like it's like a net of only a 30 million spent. Then that makes more sense to me. I watched the game today. He was okay against Spurs. So uh, it's just, it's such a hard pill to swallow. I know it's 60 million because of the UK visa. And I'm going to go back and say it for like the millionth time for once in our lifetime, we are not dying to have UK players or homegrown players in this squad. So we could Alex Tellis's PSG move is no not official, hasn't been mentioned in a long time. Is, is there any chance we can go back for him now? Well, he's about to win the league in Portugal too. Yeah, because Benfica blew it today. Oh yep. man. Uh, I mean Zach, going back to Alonso real quick, did you uh, care would you care to respond to what Andreas said? Yeah, um I, I defensively he wasn't asked to do much. Um, I mean, considering Villa was only their striker was playing maybe 30 yards ahead of their closest midfield player um, for most of the match. So defensively, there wasn't really much for him to do. But the times where you know it was required for him to track back, his quickness and thought really wasn't there for me. Normally, I don't fault him for his effort. But I fault him for like his actual defensive ability. This time, I it wasn't necessarily the effort either, but he just seemed a little slow to respond to transitions and to res and and to hustle back into his position. Um, that that part kind of bothered me. But in terms of him going forward, yeah, I mean everything you said, I pretty much agreed with. Um, uh, I, I guess for me, it was the the me the the big issues, and I know we're actually not highlighting them today. I don't think, but all the defensive issues, I was adamant were bad were 
down to Christensen and Rudiger in this match. Yeah. And and that that's where my anger and, and stuff was was at. So that's why I was kind of surprised that you were calling out Alonzo in this match. No, well well look, I mean, I think the important thing here is um thinking of a possibility of him being in the squad next season for matches like this specifically where we could kind of sacrifice the left back position and say, you know what, we'll throw Alonzo there and just have him kind of go gung ho all match. I think this was a perfect match to play him in. And I wasn't really frustrated that he was starting because when I saw the lineup, I got it. You know, I I understood like Villa's going to give up possession. Frank's going to push him forward. It makes sense. Aspie's used to playing in a three. So, you know, naturally it would work. Um, but there there were times in this match where they would get the ball in wide positions on the left flank, and their their winger or Grealish in in in, in this match would get maybe three, four, or five touches on um, before Alonso got there, and, and that's what that's what kind of bothered me. But again, it's Drat Grealish, and I talked about that earlier. The only instances I could really think of Alonso struggling is when he was caught in one v ones with Grealish, and that guy gets fouled more than anyone in the league. So you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. All right, let's get into Reese James. Uh, he came on in the 89th minute. I mean, he played for five, six minutes. And and I have to say, he looked absolutely dreadful. I mean, he, he was dispossessed twice, had one unsuccessful touch. And he only had on, on only 11 touches. I mean, he got dispossessed twice on 11 touches. Uh, we got a Twitter question uh, from Jared Barkovsky at Jr. Bork. I think this this is also his first time asking a question. So, Woo, welcome, How you doing, nice. Jared. Um, he says, "What was up with Reese James? I love that guy, but my nine year old son could have easily dispossessed him. I mean, I, I think he agrees with me, Zach. What, <laughs> what do you think? Patience is key. Um, it's easy to it's easy to remember." It's always easy to remember how good a player is, but it's really hard to forget how young and inexperienced they are. So in this case, we have to hark back on that. They don't have a lot of experience. They are very young. Um, even for the experienced players, nobody's experienced a season like this where midway through it stops for three months and picks back up with no fans in the city. It's, it's, it's odd. Um, so I don't, I'm not really going to, I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt when I see bad performances or poor performances. Reese James has a ton of talent to bounce back from this. Um, and I'm going to get onto it later, but I want to see him actually start against city and I'll explain why when we get there. But, um, I, all hope is not lost. And I think that's the main thing here is not getting too caught in one individual performance in isolation. When you look back, all his other performances were really good. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was odd, man. Like I was like, oh, thank God, we're gonna add another defensive body. We're good to go. But I, I, I put the, I guess not the blame, but the reasoning behind it for me is, is not maybe not even the fact that he's young, but Reese James up until this point has either started the match, whether it was in the academy at Wigan at Chelsea, or he's brought onto the game because we're either tied or looking for a win and he's going to add something of value uh, moving forward. So, and it's usually not in like the last eight minutes. So it, it, it's a whole different way of thinking and it's a whole different ball game. When you come in at the beginning of the game, 
zero minute, you get to understand the feel of it. Or you come in with specific instructions like, hey, we're the ones putting on the pressure. And I think you can be the missing piece to get to the next goal. Two, coming in is like, hey, they're breathing down our necks right now. Like, we need to just end this game. So Aston Villa at this point is coming guns blazing. Like, we've seen this before where Chelsea gets the lead and then we're just, like, put a, with our backs against the wall hoping they don't score. And that's when Reese James came on. So I thought that is what I would contribute his weird performance to was that he came on at a weird time and he came on to play right wing when we were on the ball, not right back. So that's kind of how I felt about it. I, I'm not looking into this at all. I think he'll be fine who next time he comes on, on the pitch. William. Oh, yeah. He came yeah. on for William. Right. So, okay. and, and the last thing is, even if it was nine minutes, and I'm dismissing this also because of, of who Reese James is, like, remember, this guy won player of the year ahead of Callum Hudson-Odoi the year that Callum Hudson-Odoi, like, made his breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And he was player of the year at Wigan. He was, like, this guy's got the right head on his shoulders he's gonna watch those 11 minutes or 11 touches over and over again to make sure they never happen again so i i don't think this is gonna become a thing or break him either if anything he'll learn from it yeah it's definitely not i mean it was it was like five minutes of play that's not gonna make or break his career all right let's get on to captain fucking america because wow he was our savior um had a huge Ooh. american boner just like the rest of you guys i'm sure <laughs> he comes on in the 55th minute for rlc and five minutes later ties the match up 1-1 um so in 17 premier league appearances he has six goals two assists i saw this tweet um comparing pulisic's first season at chelsea versus pedro and williams uh, in all competitions, Pulisic has seven goals, six assists, and 24 games. So that's a goal or assist every 124 minutes. Whereas Willian, uh, four goals and 10 assists in 46 matches. So a goal and assist every 240 minutes as compared to Pulisic's 124. And Pedro, a goal or assist every 231 minutes. So, uh, I mean, obviously he's been injured. He hasn't had that much of play time, you know, only 24 matches total this season. But uh, a goal or assist every 124 minutes, uh, that's that's amazing so far for him. Yeah. Um, I think Frank's been doing a really good job. He's, he's done a really good job getting the most out of him. Um, a, a guy who came in with a lot of expectation, a, I think a huge target on his, you know, on his head from anyone – just waiting for him to slip up. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, Andreas, I'll start off with you. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, your initial reactions to his performance? I thought that he was the difference maker. I know I, I tweeted this after the game because it was really obnoxious to get on Twitter and have people literally complain to each other as to whether Mount or Conte or Pulisic were man of the match and while I thought that they that the two midfielders had a very complete game, it, it's it's just a different sort of thing. He came on, played thirty or forty minutes, but those forty minutes were where we turned it around, and I think he was very much part of why uh, that occurred. I thought he obviously had a chip on his own shoulder to to make something happen in this match. He's been gone forever. We signed Ziyech, we signed Werner. 
Like the guy was just becoming a fan favorite when he got hurt. And so much like Tammy, Pulisic is another name on the, on the team sheet that's ready to prove that, Hey, I'm a world-class potential talent too. Like I am the guy for my country and I can be the guy here if needed. And it's just crazy it, to me because I'd never expected him to be the type to be scoring the goals. He just kind of has transformed himself from what he was at Dortmund to what he is at Chelsea. Yeah. Like at Dortmund, he was setting other people up. Like he mm-hmm. was the one crossing. He was the one dribbling past a player and, and setting up somebody for a tap. And we, we talk about how much how often he's been setting up people like Batshuayi at both Dortmund and at Chelsea. So for him to be the guy actually at the end of the cross, the one forcing himself to get a shot off, it's it's cool to see and and also to know that we were the ones putting him in this sort of shell of what his skill set was, but in reality, he can do the finishing himself. So mm-hmm. that's how I felt about about his performance. This is a uh, it's interesting, Andres, because you kind of described um, everything that a young potentially world-class player needs to have. And that's that ability to hurt teams in multiple ways, right? I think he has something that um, that nobody else has, or at least we haven't seen this season. He actually has raw pace. And that was, that was the first thing I noticed when he got subbed on. Defenders are scared shitless to be in a foot race with him. Like, it's it it's no secret that um that when he goes on the pitch he's probably if not the second fastest person on the pitch um and at the moment he's our quickest player so um you know you got guys like Willian or or even RLC who started on the left um they Villa were able to contain them a little bit more because they were able to isolate in one v one situations because Willian doesn't really have much athleticism anymore I mean Tyrone Minks beat him in a foot race and then um. You know, on the other side, Loftus Cheek wasn't really running at defenders. So um, when we brought Pulisic on, that was the first thing he started to do, and it could be attributed to his role as a substitute, or we could actually give him credit where credit's due. Um, you know, the ability to stay wide, to hold his position, but to also time that run into the box um, brings me kind of like to my second point about um, his ability to finish. And Andres, you touched on it at Dortmund. He's a creator, a provider um, in a very fluid system also that that pretty much feeds a, a, a central focal point, right? Whereas at Chelsea, the goals kind of seem to come from anywhere in Frank's system, or at least that's how it should be. Um, and, and and he's really starting to thrive off of it. And, and Lampard talked about it after the match too. Um, and, and he mentioned to Pulisic, you know, if you want to be this world-class dominant player, you have to be able to get double digits goals or assists. Um, and and the fact that he's already at six on only 17 appearances makes you think that, yeah, I think he could hit double digits comfortably if he could remain healthy for, you know, a full season. Um, and, and, you know, also the fact that the guy's a winger that plays like an actual winger. With William, we get very, very limited because he likes to tuck in. He doesn't stay out wide. Um, where when Pulisic came in, he was picking and choosing the right times to cut into the box and make those late runs. And it kept defenders off, uh, off guard, but you combine that with his pace and now his new finishing ability, it makes him, it makes him a triple threat. And 
you know, him scoring goals isn't anything new per se. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I, I had no idea he could score goals because he's been doing this for the United States national team. But the fact that it's now he's starting to answer the difficult questions that people are asking of him is making me so happy because, no, it's not a fluke. You know, he's not just another Freddie Adu or, you know, go ahead and name all those, uh, you know, fantastic flops, uh, Agudelos or, you know, going in years past of, oh, these guys are are, are going to be next in line. Well, Pulisic is actually starting his own line. I think he's the greatest United States uh, national team player ever, just based on merit already. What he's been able to do in this season at Chelsea is pretty much more than any other American has done besides Tim Howard. Um, but you know, it's the fact that it's coming to fruition at Chelsea. I almost can't put it into words, guys. Like I was thinking about it um, on my way home uh, this past weekend. I was driving in my car and just thought to myself, I don't think I've loved a Chelsea player like Pulisic um, since Drogba. And that's something I could really say comfortably because Drogba is my favorite Chelsea player of all time. But it's almost it, it's it's on that same level of connection that I have with him that I have with DDA. So, you know, someone that's really near and dear to my heart. It's so awesome to see him play this well. And 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 honestly, I hope it continues. But guys, I, I know it was a long rant, but I just kind of want to see what you have to say about it. Mm. Can he be that? Can he be the best player on this team? I, I, I just wanted to say one thing. Michael Bradley yeah. would like to have a word with you. <laughs> the greatest American soccer player of oh, all time. God. Oh man! Well, we saw Michael Bradley. Yeah, God. <laughs> I don't even want to. You, don't even get me started. I'll let you handle it. <laughs> I I'm not gonna talk about Michael Bradley on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, him and Alexi Lalas both have a special place in the hell for all. If you I want care. to talk about Michael Bradley, like in LAFC terms, great, let's do it. No, if you want to talk about not. him as a national team coach, then fuck him. All right, uh, let's let's talk about Mason Mount because we've been pretty long winded on this match recap. But I mean, this has been our first match in a while. Like we <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. Sue us, Mason Mount. <laughs> Mason Mount. Uh, what a, what an absolute joy to watch Mason Mount play, I have to say. Like, he is just – I mean, I know that our team was pressing really hard all match, but Mason Mount was on a different level. 25 presses, I mean, second most on our team was N'Golo Conte with 15. Um, just like it, – it, it's, it's so joyful to watch him play. And, uh, I mean, you, you were talking about your favorite player. I mean, Mason Mount – is is kind of becoming one of my favorite players just because of um he's doing exactly in everything that frank asks him to do no questions asked i mean i think he just loves the club so much and has so much pride playing for chelsea and it's it really shows in his play zach what do you think yeah um if i'm gonna be honest with you guys i think he's future captain material um, it, it, just based on his work rate and his general attitude on the pitch, um, the effort that he puts in every match is absolutely ridiculous. And, um, you know, the guy never stops running and he also has that combination of technical ability needs to spruce up his finishing a little bit. He's not the quickest and he's not the most athletic, but what makes you realize how brilliant he is, is how he's always in the right place at the right time. He is always there for a, for a, an initial press or a secondary press. 
and it, he never misses a rotation defensively. It's it's it really is like Sam you said it. It's it's a joy to watch, and and that's really all you could say about it. I don't think I've enjoyed a player running around stealing uh, stealing the ball off of people or pressing as much um, since Conte, right? Like it, it it's almost the same. It, it it's like you're watching the same type of player in a sense. Um, but you're getting the similar enjoyment out of it where you're not really baffled by like the the, uh, the attacking prowess as much as you're just, you know, sort of bewildered at how how much this guy could actually run. The amount of work that he makes his body do in 90 minutes is crazy. Yeah, Mason Mount had himself a game. I wanted to just say, like, I don't know how a successful press is is written down, whether it's him winning the ball. Or not, but if we go back and if you go back and watch the highlights, I'm pretty sure if Mason Mount wasn't winning the ball, he was the guy forcing that player to make a mistake with the pass that he chose next because we won the ball in the final third a crazy amount of times. Like the moment Chelsea would lose the ball, I felt like within two passes we got it back more more times than not. And and I think part of that was due to Mason Mount. I mean, I mentioned it earlier that I think the reason Mason Mount started in midfield over Loftus Cheek is because Lampard wasn't ready to ask that sort of effort out of Loftus Cheek, and he knew that Mason Mount was not even going to blink. Uh, he was close to having a fantastic goal with his left foot. It was a good save from the Aston Villa keeper. The the way that I feel like Mason Mount plays is, and, and I I mean this throughout the whole season. Let's say, and I'm going to use high school terms here. Uh, for our UK listeners, I don't know how it works in the UK, but you have your varsity team in high school, and your varsity team is usually composed of the older guys who've been there before and whatnot. But then every team has that one freshman or sophomore that makes the cut, and it the, the coaches love from the beginning, and he's not the particular fastest or strongest or best player, but he gets picked. And in practice, he's annoying as hell. And then, like, throughout the season, you're like, oh, okay, this is, this, is, this is starting to make sense. Like, nobody is going to work harder than this kid. And you learn to just kind of love him, even though, again, at first you were just like, why is, why is it that he plays? So that's how I think of Mason Mount if I were in the team myself, I guess. Like, if I was a player at Chelsea, I'd be like, this kid has never played in the Premier League, and then he starts from day one. He had a slower start to – I take that back. He did not have a slow start. He started very well, then kind of slowed down. And then at the turn of the year, uh, when we started seeing results again, it was it was always kind of around him and what he was doing. So for him to continue that, it's, it's just crazy because last week, I didn't even think Mason Mount made my starting 11 for Chelsea next year. And now these guys are coming out. I know it's one game, but I'm just taking it for what it is. Like – I don't want to lose that sort of energy in my starting 11, even with Ziyech and, and Werner coming in. So it's, it's, it's just awesome to see these guys like from now kind of try to make themselves inexpen like unexpendable, inexpendable, whatever the right term is. But yeah, that. I couldn't agree more. Do you I guys think he's captain material? I don't know. I don't know if he's like captain material. I feel like he's kind of like a like a good sidekick. I just don't know if he's got the 
the voice to be captain, I guess. Like we've 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 got a passive captain now in Dave, and we all love Dave, but I don't know. That's not my typical style of captain, so I don't know if it's because he's young still, but I don't know if he fits the profile of what I usually would want in a captain. And that's just personal preference. My, my, the thing I get from Mason Mount more than anything is that if I compare him to all the other players that came from our uh, youth academy, I think I associate him with being Chelsea through and through more than any of them. And I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it, and maybe it's that work rate. But uh, <laughs> let me know if you guys feel the same because that's just the general sense that I get when I watch him play is that like he has that sort of old-school – mindset about him like i don't give a fuck what i put my body through we're going to pick up these three points and i'm gonna and i'm gonna do it for the badge he's still young we'll see i mean it's just time will tell whether he's got that material but i think he's got the makings of it um all right let's move on um we're gonna get into our twitter questions slash transfer news we'll combine them into one uh (laughs) one part so officially last episode we uh we talked about Timo Werner and uh, how skeptical we were starting to get. And within nope, hours, not me. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Andrea's the only one. Um, and within hours of us posting the episode, it was confirmed. Uh, Timo Werner is a blue 47.6 million pound transfer. Uh, I, I, I did, I did have a little bit of fear that things were getting held up and, you know, something goes wrong with the whole process but we knew deep down inside it was it was it was for sure so what are your guys' thoughts now that it's he's officially a blue andreas i'll start off with you just saying uh, i couldn't be happier this has been a fifa dream that i never thought would come true until we finally got some legit rumors it's just like ah i'm so happy He's obviously going to get his preferred number 11 jersey for next season. He, oh my God, I just don't even know what to say. I knew it was happening. In my prediction last week, I thought it would take a little bit longer because I thought we were going to require the medical. But I think it was just like, hey, it's it's done and dusted. Leipzig's not, Bayern won the league, so there's no point in kind of keeping the this under wraps. So, yeah, I mean... I, I'm excited. I, I have nothing else to say about it. Whether he starts, whether he plays out on the wing and plays in a tandem with Tammy, it's just this is exactly what we need in a team where we create so many chances and we don't put them away. Like, I'm ecstatic. When when it happened, it didn't seem real because it's been we've been waiting for so long. And my initial like celebration quickly followed a announce Havertz. Like (laughs) that was my train of thought. It's like, fuck yeah, we got this over the line. Oh my God. I can't believe it. We really have Timo Werner. And then the first thing I did was like refresh my Twitter feed to see if there was like, it was, if Chelsea was pulling a fast one and going to announce a Havertz deal right after I was like, there's no way that the, that the perfect day of all days would be today. There's just no way. But yeah, I mean, it's exciting. We we finally bought our hazard replacement in terms of goals and assists. So, you know, we got a proven guy, said it last week. 
um, somebody that's going to come in and hit the ground running. At least that's the general sense we're all feeling here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also someone that Frank has spoken about multiple times. And and, and this one, the, I, I think the thing that feels really good about this transfer is the fact that, you know, we haven't heard any conflicting reports in terms of Chelsea's interest for Werner. It's always been a really solid interest. And that just shows you that there's continuity and conversation happening between Marina, Czech, Frank, and whatever other powers that be, uh, Roman even. Um, and, and it just seemed like everyone was on the same page for this. So so that's why I'm excited. When was the last time we had a, a, a signing be across the board like that? Like, Morata was the club, not Conte's, like, I don't know, like everything else, seen, every like potential marquee offensive signing since potentially Hazard mm-hmm. has always been like, this is like, even with Pulisic, it was like the reports came out that the club wanted Pulisic, but he was never part of Sarri's plans. Like this is the first time in a long time where an offensive target checks the boxes across the board in a Chelsea hierarchy. And I think that that's like, that's why I, I can't, think of a situation where this isn't a perfect match yeah i think the last time a signing was across the board like this was sesc fabregas because i remember Mourinho specifically wanted him and the board had absolutely no problem getting him but we we, my point being we saw how sesc turned out so Mm -hmm. it only makes you think that there's only one way this can turn out too i'm so happy guys i think the best part about it is the fact that he's not He's not going to Liverpool. I think that's the best yeah. part about all of this. Uh, it would have broke my heart. Really, it would have. But this is, mm. this is. I mean, I would, I never, ever expected it throughout the year that this would happen. But God is good. <laughs> all right, let's get on to uh, not a little, another piece of news. So Pedro and Willian reportedly, well, actually it was confirmed by uh, the official statement by the club. They'll sign until the end of the season. There's a little speculation as to whether, you know, their deal would also continue on to uh, FA Cup and Champions League, and uh, they will be available for the remaining uh, Premier League fixtures as well as any future involvement in FA Cup and Champions League. Uh, that was per their official statement from the club. Uh, you know, Pedro last week told the club he was unwilling to risk the Roma move, but, you know, appears that they've been able to change his mind on deadline day because today was was the deadline to get that uh, extended for him so uh i mean obviously we're not going to discuss whether we want them to stay on for next season but o- overall everyone's happy that they were willing to stay on for the rest of this season right yeah yeah we need him we yeah, need numbers yeah. we do i i don't know if i'll trust them to start every week just because i know in the back of their minds their next move is there, but I mean, we're playing again, we're playing four matches in 10 days. And unfortunately I don't want to put lots of chic at the wing. Like let's put guys that have been doing that all season with Lampard already. Uh, Pedro will get you a winner here and there. We know Williams work rate is pretty high, even though he can frustrate me to the death of the final third. But these are guys that, yeah, these are guys that are, have been important or have had important moments and right now even if we played the ugliest games if these guys somehow become part of us getting important three points to get champions league next season i'm all i'm all for it all right we got a question I, oh wait, oh, one no. thing i do want to say neither of them will actually play in the champions league for us yeah. they'll be gone 
Yeah, yeah. in the one match we play because we're not advancing. <laughs> uh, so we got a question from Mike D at ATX CFC. Uh, he's been he's been uh, chiming in the past couple weeks. He says if Koulibaly is not for sale or if he's too pricey, what about Declan Rice partnered with Zuma and Dylan Morton uh, at Dylan at CFC? I think that's his Ultra handle. Dylan. Ultra Dylan, the man. He says. Yeah. Uh, Obvious, you know, he's. We'll talk more about the city match, but he says that thoughts on Declan Rice for thirty to forty mil. I'm becoming more positive on him the more I watch. Uh, so, are you guys with Dylan and Mike uh, bringing on bringing Declan Rice back? Uh, I'll let to Jack Chelsea? go first. Zach, I, I know you love him. Yeah, De- De- Declan Rice. Um, although he has played center back, he hasn't been deployed there um, on a regular basis in a very long time. So um, he he's actually been playing as a as a holding midfield player. Um, my thoughts on Declan Rice, um, just kind of adding him to the squad. I know his name has been thrown around. He is best friends with Mason Mount. He is former Chelsea youth. Um, so you know, definitely the affinity for the club is there from from his standpoint. Um, whether I think he's the right signing, I don't think so. Um, if we added him to the squad, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd be ecstatic. We got somebody with a tons of upside um, and somebody that we could probably turn around and sell um, for the same amount we bought him for if that 30 to, 4 mil- 30 to 40 million price tag is, is legit. Um, but it's just he, he's not a necessity. Um, I, I, I just don't think that's a position we need strengthening in is – you know, especially the midfield spots. Um, then when you move to center back, yes, he can play there. And yes, I think he can be definitely serviceable there. Um, but we're looking for somebody ready-made. Um, and, and and I don't think the club is going to... I don't think the club has any reason to go out and buy another young center back when we already have three on our roster. So, Yeah, uh, I looked into it because I had no idea that Declan Rice had ever played center back. And since matches in November, Premier League, FA Cup, Capital, or not, no, no longer Capital One, Carabao Cup, Declan Rice has played a grand total of one time as a center back, and it was just last week. So for me, that's just not what we need right now. If, if West Ham is relegated and a player like Declan Rice becomes available – I can see why it would maybe make Chelsea turn their head and consider. But again, we would need to have you like we've have you guys seen our midfield core right now? Like we, we don't have room. And unfortunately, I I don't think he's someone I would rather have over somebody in our current team right now. Like, yeah. And I and I'm honestly including Ross Barkley because Something about Ross Barkley is like right when I'm ready to get rid of him, he does something. So it's just like, well, what did he do this past game? He just got subbed on the same time as Pulisic. I don't know. And so you notice as soon so as he came on, the game turned he around. Has, technically, Look, he assisted the goal. It's it's not just that. I'm just saying, like again, Conte needed somebody to speed it up, and Ross Barkley yeah. puts his head down and goes forward. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, let's be real. Like he has yeah. like he's a very like uh, option one thought process player, but. Declan Rice, like, yes, he's a DM. We we don't have a sole DM. We don't play with one until Conte played one that position this week. It's just, is he a great player? Does he have the potential to? Yes, he does. But 
it's not a priority right now. And based on who we have now and coming up, I just don't think he's worth the hassle. Like we, I don't actually think – actually, we'll talk about ideal windows, but people might say, oh, well, we don't really need Kai Havertz. It's a totally different conversation. Like yeah. Kai Havertz it has the potential to be top 10 player in the whole world. It's not the same conversation for Declan Rice. I was about so, to say the same thing. Like it's, it's – like, it's, it, no, he wouldn't be an improvement, uh, De- Declan Rice, on, of what we have. But Now, Kai now exactly. or tomorrow. Now or tomorrow. And he, that's yeah. where I'm at right now with that move. It's, it's just – he does have the Chelsea DNA and all that and, and the Mason Mount connection, but we're not – Conte's still our player, and Frank was very, very adamant about the fact that Conte is in the plans for the long run. So unless you told me that Conte is taking a 100-mil move to PSG and we suddenly don't have any pure DM or, or defensive-minded midfielder, then I'd be like, okay, this makes sense. I get the cut price makes you turn your head, but it's not where we should be putting in our money. I just hate his hair, honestly. That bothers me so much. The lineup? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a good look for him. Uh, no, no, no he, had like a long, he had a long mop right now Yeah. on top of a fade. It was weird. I agree. Uh, okay, so let's let's move on. Uh, I haven't seen it. We got a question from uh, at Tim Chelsea 14 two weeks in a row. Wow, he's close to becoming Shout out a Tim. Red Ultra. Uh, he's, he asks, what's your ideal summer window? Ooh, we need a center back, and we need a and we need a. I put cheap left back, but I'm saying cheap um, when comparing prices to um, Ben Chilwell. Um, I think if we could get a center back and a left back, it would be an A plus window. And if you we get we're Kai saying Havert, Alex Tellez or or uh, Tagliofico or something like that. And Alex, exactly, somebody in that price range, the thirty to four million, thirty to forty million range, but also has a lot of experience, Champions League football. And then in terms of a center back, there's only one guy I want. And I think Andres is going to say his name. Hell yeah. It better be Kulavali. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> honestly, ideal window. Like, we've been talking about this for a while now. Um, yes, we need a left back. Like, I will think this window is, is a mess if we don't get one across the board. At this point, I'm so tired of it. I'll take any of the options that have been listed, whether it's Tagliafico, Chilwell, um good god i've just mentioned him earlier and i'm already tell us mm-hmm. uh at center back actually right before we recorded i got into kind of a discussion regarding the declan rice thing and other center back options tiago silva is going to be a free agent this summer but free agents require a very high salary they require an agent fee that's usually pretty high because there is no transfer fee where the agent can pull money from and I think Tiago Silva is slightly too old to be the, the right player for us. The leadership, he's got the skills, the experience, all that. I'm not going to debate like it's, it's obvious, but he would give us maybe one or two years max. And I would want a little bit longer of a profile there. Then the next guy was like Alaba. Like Alaba has been the he's best. Not going anywhere, though. He's right. So I would say pre. Nicholas Sule injury, which was at the end of last year, and Sule has yet to come back to Bayern. I would have said, yeah, Alaba didn't sign a new contract in January. He can play left back and center back. But since then, I think Alaba is now the 
second center back behind Sula for Bayern, ahead of Boateng, ahead of Lucas Hernandez, ahead of whoever they want to put. And he's probably going to get a new contract here shortly through Bayern. Like, I, I can't see him leaving right now because of how much he's honestly improved that back line since shifting over to the middle. And they paid uh, a hefty, hefty penny for uh, Lucas Hernandez, and that's not really looking right. to that good of yeah, a signing. So, I wonder what happens with like him. them. Well, what happens. Our, Lucas Hernandez can play, he can play center back and left back, so he'll mm-hmm. get some minutes, but I don't, I can't see uh, their current manager taking Alaba out of the scheme of things consistently. And then there's Koulibaly, which we all know is like my dream signing. Like to me, Koulibaly's effect on our squad would be the equivalent of what uh, Van Dijk did for Liverpool. He's the missing piece that can put everything together. We, we get him, you get at least four to five years. You get him to actually teach these guys how to play the center back role, whether they continue to grow as sidekicks or whether one of them sprouts as a leader. But uh, you know, 15-16 was an awful season, but when Zuma was playing next to t- John Terry, Zuma was like the next greatest center back out there. And I think that's the sort of impact that bringing in somebody like Koulibaly would have on the three young center backs. Not Rudiger because he's a little bit more established in, in how he plays and stuff and may, you know, not be as willing to learn perhaps, but Tomori, Zuma, and uh, Tomori, Zuma, Christensen, Heck, add Gehi and add Ampadu to the mix would all be significantly higher performers if they lined up next to Koulibaly. And that's why I wish he was like the dream signing. It's just crazy that we're not even barking up that tree and, and I don't know. Just he lo- It's weird with him because he loves Naples and he, and you know, it seemed like he was the closest he'd been to leaving and then they just won a cup. So so maybe now he's ready to leave. Who knows? Like he doesn't well, yeah, know exactly. anything else. Exactly. That's the thing. That's the thing. So like we have no fucking idea what what's happening with him. But I think the one thing we could all agree on is that if there is one player that we can all sign, it's that guy. Like uh, there is no see, I, there is I'm, no better plan B at the center back position. So I'm, prove I, me I'm, wrong. I'm okay. This is this is where I'm sitting. Okay, and we. we, we we have we had a question from Nacho Fuentes. Uh, shout out to Venezuela. Uh, yeah. The way we pretty much discussed it, he's asking about who we'd sign as for the back line. Um, and also today, uh, Simon Johnson on the Athletic wrote this nice article. Chelsea's recruitment should now focus on center backs. And so this past weekend, uh, Koulibaly turned 29 years old. Okay. And the price tag of 95 million is just it's just so much. And when you think about the fact that, you know, when when Frank uh, went to pitch to Timo Werner and he told him about his three-year plan, um, that's that means next year is the second year of our three-year plan. Um, and, like, you know, you think about the FIFA fair play constraints. Um, spending $95 million, it doesn't give us that much room to play with the rest you know i know there's there's gonna it's going to be suspended for a see a, a year but we're not sure how that works out um and i just think that it's it's better i think i don't think next year the goal is to win the premier league it's to close the gap and andreas you said this last week uh and i really do agree with that it's it's to close the gap between the top two um and if we win the premier league next year that's great but i think our goal is to win it 
the following season. And there just aren't good options right now. Either the options, you know, uh, Upa Meccano from Leipzig. I mean, he's 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 been linked with almost every team out there. Uh, 54 million valuation right now, 21 years old. You know, so they're either too expensive or not experienced enough. And I really don't like any of the options when I'm I'm just staking my claim in the Kai Havertz uh, island. Like I just I think that bringing him on uh, a generational talent like him is I think would be so much smarter to do. And I. I I know that thinking about, you know, the depth that of what we have at midfield versus, you know, our center back position right now. I mean, we do have Tamori Christensen, um, you know, Zuma, Rudiger, who each have their strengths, you know, but also have glaring weaknesses and their ability to communicate. Uh, and, you know, I mean, 40 goals allowed in 30 matches right now. Clearly that needs, some, that's something new needs to be fixed. But I mean, yeah. I, like, I think there's a possibility, like like the signing we're looking for is someone like Virgil Van Dyke, which is I don't think Koulibaly is that, uh, to be honest. I mean he's he's great, oh, and I think some what don't let you, me down some what you you'd compare him to Van Dyke. Yes, I would compare him to Van okay, Dyke. Okay, but still, also the age. I mean he's 29 years old. I don't know what his contract situation is. If That's... you guys know. That's but the thing. I think That's... next. I think well, once. I think that there is a possibility for other center backs. You know, you don't know what happens with other teams. Situations change, and in, in the next window, there might be a better option for a better price. You know, and I just don't. I think I'd rather spend the money on a guy like Kai Havertz. Where, I mean, Pipe Sierra, some very reliable <laughs> Colombian news source says that we offered him <laughs> a Colombian news source reporting on a German uh, slash Spanish slash English news story, 88 million Euro, uh, offered with, if it was a fight and it was a, for a transfer and a five year contract with a salary of nine and a half million euros per year. Um, I mean, if that's true, he said it was confirmed, uh, <laughs> but if that's true, I would way rather spend 88 mil on Kai Havertz than 95 million on Koulibaly. And that's just my opinion when you're considering possible FIFA fair play constraints. And I mean, also just to think about, you know, our midfield, like we're putting RLC as, you know, one of our midfielders and he's yet to really show that he can stay healthy. You know, like if if we yeah. want if we want the depth that a team like City has, bringing a guy like Kai Havertz and then having bringing and then finding another center back while having the ones that we currently have that are serviceable, I think that's that's the ideal path in my opinion. I mean, ninety ninety five million for Koulibaly just seems like too much. I, I see what you're saying, and, and it makes sense, right? Like if we're if we're just trying to close the gap and not win the league immediately next season, which I think is completely possible, um, then right, yes, yeah. like, like 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 your option works. You know, we have young center backs. We could give them one more full season to kind of weed out the ones that we don't like and the ones that we do like, and then we'll go back in for another center back next summer, or. We could even wait maybe until January. I mean, yeah, things change too. all the time, and like and like that's I, I think that's what you're trying to get at. But exactly in in, in regards to like the the whole Koulibaly thing, 
the reason why he's the only player on my mind right now is because every other good center back that I would love to have at Chelsea is not going anywhere. Like, there hasn't been many other names linked with anyone else. The only other name that really – that I, the, or, or the signing I think would be absolutely perfect would be Jose Jimenez from Atletico because he's a ready-made, been, played Champions League finals, um, you know, captain material, just like – he, and he's a fucking brute and a damn good defender. Million but pounds he's not <laughs> exactly. Clause. He's not. He's not going anywhere. And that's my point. Like none of none of these other guys are going anywhere. Delict got his move, so that's already done. Like I'm looking around. We were linked with Romagnoli uh, for AC Milan when Sari was our manager. He's a great center back too. He's not going anywhere now that we don't have an Italian manager. So there's just no other options. And it looks like we either got a. I think Chelsea's pursuit of Koulibaly would really highlight our transfer strategy and our and our short-term goals. You know, if we go hard for a guy like Koulibaly, then that just shows that we're looking to win the league soon. But if we go and, you know, spend the money on Havertz, for example, and take your route some, I think that shows a more measured approach, like looking further down the line. I, the, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm actually coming around to that idea. But the problem is... If you don't buy a center back, mm-hmm. I know Andres is thinking this too, you're going to concede goals like you did last weekend, and that's unacceptable. And also if you sit on your hands and he ends up going somewhere else and that opportunity doesn't arise where there's another center back who's serviceable, who you know is available, then, then you you're really out. screwed. Uh, you yeah, know, you have right. another Van Dyke situation. So obviously I'll, I'm taking that into consideration too, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I just I think it's I just have a strong bias for bringing on Kai Havertz. Well, and again, guys, like I don't see why both aren't in the realm of possibility. Like complete being completely mm-hmm. honest here, like the Close Kai Havertz thing. Mil. Like, but here's the thing: they they've said like FIFA or UEFA. Like I saw somewhere that they're gonna be lenient on fair play. Like fair play this summer, like isn't gonna be like as strict the yeah, other thing is take advantage of that yeah cool is only a year older than 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 van dyke and yes we are trying like you're asking about like this move would be a longevity thing so yes he is going to be priced at 15 million more than what liverpool paid for van dyke i get that based on the fact that we're dealing with De Laurentiis and napoli but the, the point I'm trying to make is this is a signing for the, the now and for the tomorrow, too. Just the tomorrow one is a little bit more indirect than, than the Kai Havertz signing. Like, I get that. You add Kai Havertz, like, the, the ability for Chelsea to unlock these teams passing the bus goes up exponentially when you couple that with the Werner and the ZX signing and the fact that we, we're going to have a lot of our creative players back. But, also, you know what? Sorry to add on. You said, you said yeah. Van Dyke's a year younger but he's only a couple of weeks younger. He turns 29 in two weeks. So, no, I mean, no, no, but Liverpool still got two years out of him, and that's the thing. Well, sure. They got yeah, a title right. and a championship. Sure, they, right, got, right. they got half a season, and, and they're getting a title this year. Like, right, right. right. But, but the point I'm trying to make is we get Koulibaly. Let's say that adding Koulibaly, it definitely puts us in the tier with, with City and Liverpool. We may still not be right there, but the thing is our young center backs – are further ahead, in my opinion, than the ones on the bench for both Liverpool and for City. And if they can just get the right guidance, 
like to, to, to learn from a guy who, in my opinion, again, is up there with, with your Sergio Ramos, Van Dyke, and, and Laporta level players. That's the thing that, that I find so invaluable because right now they're not going to learn from each other or Rudiger. And, and there's not the guy that's saying, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to handle it. And this is what you, young guy, are going to do to make things make sure things work out. Like, as much as someone like Alex Tellis brings an experience and is a captain for his team, it's a lot harder for a left back to be shouting at the whole back line. And yeah. our goalkeeper is also not a vocal goalkeeper. So I, I can make the argument that maybe a vocal goalkeeper could do that. We're not even in the market for someone right now because Kepa's doing better. So my thing is like, yes, you're paying more for Koulibaly and there aren't many other options out there. But like Zach also mentioned, Napoli is not going to be – they got the trophy, but Napoli is going through some crazy roller coaster right now too of, of instability. There's zero chance that they compete for the league anytime soon, even less the Champions League. Koulibaly just won them a, a cup for the first time in I don't know how long. Like, this is the chance to lure him out of Italy. Like, yo, Koulibaly, come here. You're the captain. It is a project with young guys, but, like, you are the voice of this team. And for the next three to five years, because the other thing is center backs definitely last longer in terms of, like, their, their prime window. Yeah. Like, he just brings so much more. His passing is better than any of our center backs. Obviously, his strength is is higher than what Zuma's is. If you partner him with any of our center backs, his speed doesn't have to be the highest thing. And we would have a center back that actually can score headers consistently, which we haven't had in who knows how long. Like, I I just can't stress enough why this is such a need and – and I still don't think that it limits us getting Kai Havertz. Because the other thing is that Bayer Leverkusen may not get a Champions League spot, which mm. can drop that 90 million valuation of Kai Havertz down to 75. Yeah. Or whatever was reported the bid we made with Pipe Sierra just now is a little <laughs> bit lower because if he doesn't sign an extension, he's walking next season. Mm. So we'll have that kind of bargaining chip as well. So. Yes, we need to think long-term, but somebody needs to teach the young players how to be better and turn them into elite players. And especially on defense, where experience and knowing what to expect from an offensive player is so important. Like, flair players can be 16 years old and kill it because all their thing is about chaos and disorder. Defense is all about, like, order, organizing, and, and, and being mathematical with it. So that's why I just want somebody that's just done. Like, I've been there. I've done that mm -hmm. to Fair be the guy that around. comes in. Fair points all around. Uh, so I, I don't know where I sit, but, I mean, if we can get both, fuck it. I'm down. I think taking advantage of this <laughs> leniency, I think, you know, would be probably smart for the board to do. All right, let's, let's, let's finish this episode up talking about uh, the Man City match uh, at the bridge, whatever – that advantage brings which it doesn't uh since project restart began man city uh two matches two wins eight goals scored none conceded Mares and Fonten have been on fire um but looks like no, there's gonna be no aguero for them uh due to injury and no de bruyne uh, due to rest per matt law on twitter um 
How do you want to? How do you guys want to line up uh, against Man City, and what do you guys expect to see from this match? Zach, I'll start off with you. Um, I want to see Conte play at the base. Um, I want to see Mason Mount and Kovacic um, as the other two names in our midfield. Um, and then I need Pulisic on the left, Tammy up front. Um, and 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 I said earlier in the podcast I'd explain myself later. I want Reese James on the right hand side and Dave on the left, and that's because um. If City are going to come at us the way they've been coming at these other teams since Project <laughs> Restart began, we're going to need actual defenders playing. Um, so yes, Reese James might not be match or he's match fit, but his mind isn't right yet, right? So it's going to be a chaotic 15, first 15, 20 minutes for him, but I'm not going to put it past him to have a sticky performance. He's going to have a good performance there. Um especially if we put him in a situation where we're forcing him um, to play a position that he's comfortable with, as opposed to the right wing, he'll look good. So um, yeah, that, that, that's my take. Andres, what do you think? I'm taking a totally different take on it. I do want Conte and Mason Mount to start in the midfield three. Surprisingly, I'm, ah, I take it back. I take it back. Hold on. Conte for sure has to start not at the six. I think, we are going to be getting pressed like crazy, and I think Jorginho needs to be back in this game to help us build out of the back just because that dude rotates his head like 50 times before he even receives the ball. And again, I I saw at times Conte struggling to find the right pass out of the back forward to move the ball forward. The other thing is I want Mason Mount in, but I want him at the wing. Uh, I want Kova and Conte to play side by side because the – the work isn't just going to be pressuring in the final third of while when city has the ball in the back, it's also the buildup from the back on our end. And Kovacic is extremely press resistant. I mentioned Jorginho is obviously press resistant because by the time you get to him, the ball's off his feet. Um, and then Conte can do it on both ends, even though he was extremely successful at the DM role. I also want to point out that when he's played at the eight, he has scored against both Man City and Liverpool this season by finding forward runs. So don't sleep on his ability to do that. I think Mason Mount starts at left at one of the wing positions. I think he has to because, again, he's going to be relentless pressing that back line. And Man City's, if you put him on the right wing, let's say William deserves a break maybe, he's going to take advantage of the fact that City's left back is probably their weakest position. Even with Mendy, I think Mendy's good, but I think he's been so out of the game for a while that he's not the Benjamin Mendy that came into City. Um, Pulisic on the left, I agree with that. I agree with Dave on as left back and Reese James as right back. I just think that you have to have the midfield three of Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic to not only help us get out of their press, but also be able to to kind of battle what they usually do uh, in possession uh, to kind of bring a little bit of balance to our game. So, yeah, that that's kind of how I would set up. And Jorginho didn't get any play time last week. I mean, he was left because of a off. suspension, right? Oh yeah, he, he, had, he had accumulated yellows. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> but uh, so I think he's guaranteed to be in the starting eleven uh, next week. I, I don't even want to make a prediction to be honest, because I don't know how good I feel about it, but I wouldn't be completely upset if city won. Cause 
they're really starting to put the pressure on Liverpool. I mean, if, if Liverpool ends up <laughs> bottling this, it'll be, I, I mean, it, it'll be probably the biggest collapse they're not. in soccer history. They Who won't. knows? <laughs> they play each other. They play Crystal Palace this week. Crystal Palace, I think, has won like four Kay matches Hill's in a row. Cahill's been on fire defensively Come for on. Crystal Palace. It's it's possible. <laughs> it's still it's still possible. And, and I they would need to tie five more games if for some reason they don't win. But yeah, I the the thing with City right now is that Laporta is back, and they just like seem like across the board everybody's more confident because of it. Like I think it's insane how much his presence was missed in this team uh, because he's been partnered with Otamendi, with Fernandinho in the last, because they've already played twice. So yeah. you've seen both of that. You've seen Zinchenko to his left. You've seen Mendy to his left. And and everybody is just so calm with him being back. It's crazy to think that once he got hurt is when Liverpool really got that gap. So you add on top of that, that Foden is killing it and Mares is Mares, like Aguero or not, like this is this city team is pretty scary. I just think we we somehow match up well against them, and it's been with that midfield three that I mentioned before. So that's why I'm hoping that we can we can give them a good run for their money. If we get a result, to, uh, I guess this is if we drop this tonight slash tomorrow. If we get a good result against them Thursday, we're sitting pretty in that top four race, just based on everybody else kind of just shitting the bed the past couple games. Yeah. Well, a long one today, guys, but um, two weeks in a row where I've, I've honestly felt like these have been some of our best podcasts. And I don't know if that's just because football are back or it's because uh, our, our lovely listeners are giving us some really good stuff to talk about. We missed um, Nick Lenartson, though. We you... did miss Nick Lenartson. <laughs> and we also missed him last week. I know. I know. Sorry, Nick. We've been fucking um, him over. Just, know, just well, send them in ahead of time, and we'll 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 include it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we'll, it's yeah. it's not a coincidence that our best episodes no, have it, come without his ep- his. No, don't, even, <laughs> don't say that. No, but for real, if you guys have questions and it's fresh in your mind the moment the match ends, feel free and send them. Like, don't no need to wait for us to make the post. We'll we'll keep those noted. I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be the day of. If you guys have a question or a news update comes on, go ahead and. and tag us in your comment or question and we'll for sure add it to the script yeah we don't tweet much but we uh i i do check the notifications before every script so i i scale it back a week and i, I make sure that i don't miss anything so make sure you guys reach out to us um hopefully the next time we talk um we can talk about another three points um and until next week <laughs> keep the blue flag flying high guys <laughs>